You are entering the Age Rebels Revolution. The intelligent podcast for over 40s wanting to live their best life and defy your numbers. We are your hosts, Summer Bentley and Isaac Xavier. Come on in. We are so excited to have Jonathan McDonald in the house today. He is an award-winning, best-selling author and one of the most in-demand keynote speakers in the world on the topics of change, digital transformation, mindset, innovation, strategy, and the future. This is one cool cat to know. He's also the chief marketing officer at Minima a cooperative network that enables everyone to freely connect. A very interesting concept. Hopefully we'll get to ask him about it. He's born in the UK. He's worked in over a hundred cities globally and is internationally renowned as a business technology and social expert. Welcome, John. You are a very interesting man and you have put a lot of your thoughts down on paper and sent it out also, also into the metaverse of audiobooks. Tell us about your books, their bestsellers, and your process in writing. Well, I started writing my thoughts down when I was five. And so by the time I'd got to 25, I had four and a half thousand chapters, I guess. Of, wow. So I journaled everything. So I was given up at birth. And then um, stabbed at the first day of school with a pencil through my hand. And uh, so my, and I was the only person of color in the whole of my town. So my, because I didn't know my real parents and I didn't fit in for ethnic reasons, I, um, I started to use writing as a, as a friend. <laughs> so mm. I would write, write things down and, and that, the paper and the pen was my uh, go-to consolation, I guess. So it was the hug. And, uh, and so by the time I got to mid twenties, I'd had four and a half thousand or 5,000 pieces of, of work. And then I think a book publisher said to me, you know, you should really, you should write a book. And I was like, well, I've, how many of these 750,000 words do you want in the, in the 60,000 word book? And it was like, so how did you distill it down? <laughs> um, I started by my first book was, uh, writing about, the impact that in the internet was going to have on the World Wide Web was going to have because that was the first year of the World Wide Web. So I, you know, no one really understood what was going to happen next. Everyone thought the web was a, a, a fad. Uh, the internet had been around for 20, 30 years, of course, but the World Wide Web was, was the layer mm -hmm. on top that enabled people to click things and link things and stuff. And so I, I, my observation of that was that it was going to have a fundamental impact on business. It's ironic, perhaps, that we're now here on this digital yeah. medium, <laughs> yeah. which is enabled by the World Wide Web. But yeah, so I wrote about that. And I, I just wrote commentary. I've always written stuff about me and how I think and how people think and observations. And then, you know, all the way through, my books have always been around um, a combination of that. And my best seller, the Sunday Times, I said, are powered by change. It was the first ever time that I took any of my past childhood articles and put them in because the publisher was like, you've got to start the whole book by your personal story. And I was like, yeah. I don't want to talk about a personal story. <laughs> well, because I, I read, listened to The Rise of Advanced Thought. Yes, and, most recent book. Yeah. yeah, which is, he has wonderfully put it free on Spotify. It is, yeah. And I was shocked to hear the... Just the immense hardship and trauma you suffered to know who you are. I met you as very successful guy. Seemed like you've got everything together as much as anyone can do yeah. in this crazy world. And you know, you've you've overcome all of this. So people they really get they're completely immobilized by trauma. Like, what did you do to get past all of that and to bring you to who you are now? So from the start, for my first starting, my literally this first hour of the first day of school, uh, when a guy pinned me down and stabbed me through the, the hand, that started an 11 year process of being violently, mentally and physically abused in all contexts. And so all the way through to my last day at school, 16, when I was stabbed through the stomach with a barbecue fork, 
So I had baseball bats to the nose. I had all, I had kneecapped. I was, you know, all kinds of stuff like waterboarded. And so my just full on bullied, full on, like really like hard, violent, hard, super violent, hardcore. And so Jeez. it got to a stage. I think when I was about ten or eleven, that that um, there was a, they created a theme tune for me in my school. And I won't swear, so I won't. I'll beep out one of the words myself. But the theme tune went, "You're going home in a beeping ambulance," and that was that was how the started. The, the day of each day would start with this theme tune and I'd walk into school and everyone would sing it. And largely I did. So uh, my journaling of how I felt about that and then how I overcame it was one of, <laughs> one of attrition, a law of attrition. It's kind of like a decision tree. So you start by recording the, the giant trauma and, and why is this happening? It, it wasn't even why is it happening to me? It was just like, why would fear be a construct in those days, I was just so f- scared all the time, right? So, As you would, um, and so, oh. so you kind of like write fear as a construct. And then through the decision tree over the years, I ended up with a binary outcome, a choice, like a coin flip. And so it was between, I was either going to die, actually. I mean, literally, on, when I was 16 and getting stabbed, that was, I was going to, I was lying on the ground and I could see the guy that had stabbed me and I've got this barbecue fork sticking out of my stomach and there's blood everywhere and everyone's just running in the opposite direction. And that was the culmination of my choices, of recording my choices, was literally I'm either going to die or I'm going to live. But ultimately for the 11 years prior, everything was always down to the choice between how I reacted to how I wanted to respond. And I didn't know that that was a thing. You know, I didn't realize until I started reading Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. And then it was like, oh, this is actually a, an actual concept. I didn't realize that you could choose mm. your response. And if you, if you, one of the most empowering pieces of sovereignty one can have is understanding that there's no bad thing that happens. Things happen and you can interpret them as bad or you can interpret them as a growth curve. And so you learn really solidly, <laughs> palpably, that the response choice is your weapon. And this then, traveling forward, became this fascinating New Year's Eve ritual where <laughs> yeah. you would have a choice. You'd do a coin flip yeah. on... Two really horribly difficult things that I have no talent in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did, yeah. did those decisions need to be horrible or horribly hard for well, you to decide you, on them? When you have a scale of one to 10 in terms of horrificness, being stabbed and being bullied for 11 years is 10. So oh, that's a 15. So the rest, so the rest, so the rest of the, the rest Oof. of them, it's hard to have a coin flip that's, that's mentally that horrible. But in terms of impossible, like very unlikely to be possible. So the first one in 2005, 2006, which was swim the English Channel or run the London Marathon, there was no way that I could have done either, like physically. I was 38 kilos heavier than I am now. Wow. And so morbidly obese. And uh, so I was, I couldn't run up a flight of stairs in 2005. And you're choosing between swimming the English Channel and running a marathon. A marathon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and actually how that happened was that um, I was at a New Year's Eve party and a mate of mine uh, had just run the Marathon de Saab. And so this marathon is across the Sahara Desert. And I very- watched a documentary on that the other night. Insane. It's and the hardest in the world. It's the hardest in the world. Yes. Right? So he was standing in the kitchen of his house. And, it's, and I said, so how's your year been? You know, trying to be all jovial and, you know, let's look back on the year. And he said, pretty challenging. And I was like, yeah, mine too. And he was like, no, really? And I was like, why? And so he told me about this. And I was like, what? I said, so like 38% of people who do it don't finish it and some die. Okay, yes. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, like, they do. It's like, boom. So I thought to myself, I know what that level of challenge is. And I've, that was how I used to live my life. Up until 97, 98, I lived my life in a constant challenge. And then I kind of nulled, lulled myself into a, this is my first marriage, into this routine, just kind of waking up, eating, not doing any exercise, um, walking into a meaningless job and all this kind of stuff. And then I met him and I just said, wow, I mean, how could, you know, how, how do you do that? And he said, well, you start by running a marathon. And of course, you don't really start by running a marathon. You start by running a mile. Yes. And then you just times it by 26.2. And then so so then I decided then then I was like, I I need more challenge in my life. I want to feel like I did 
when I was a kid, when I had a choice each day, I mean, learning how to publicly speak was because I had to learn to speak to bullies. Now, if I have a conflicting situation with a client or I'm speaking on stage and someone asks me a geopolitically difficult question, I've learned how to phrase things in a way that will negate the anger and um, and diffuse these things. And so anyway, so I started to, I said, well, I'm going to flip a coin. I'm going to either run a marathon or swim the channel. So I flipped a coin at midnight and it landed on run the London marathon. Yeah. And wow. 96 days later, I was at the start line, which by the way, for those listening, the hardest part of running any marathon is to turn up. Uh, most people don't turn up. Really? You know, yeah. So a lot of people don't turn up a day. <laughs> that's interesting. It's no different in training in the gym. Right. And that's show nowhere up. near as significant. Yeah. Show up. Yes. Yeah, it's just show. about showing up. Actually arrive. Yes. And, and and so many people don't. I think that if you look at the volume of gym memberships versus people who attend. Yes. yes. It's, a very, it's the same as the amount of people who say they want to give up smoking, the amount of people who do. But it's the same actually all the way through life. If, you know, I should probably do X, Y, and Z, and then the amount of people who do it. And so my view has always been there's only this, you plan it and then you prepare for it and then you execute it. And I don't do, or I don't even think about something that I'm not going to execute. So I, I, so when I started flipping coins each year, I knew I was going to execute the outcome. And I started, I started eventually crowdsourcing the choices. So one of them in in I think it was 2012, no, 2013, was um, learn to write left-handed or write a Sunday Times best-selling book. Right? And that was crowdsourced. And so I, you know, no, I was no, I didn't know how to write a Sunday Times best-selling book. So I started to, what I've done with every coin flip, and I'm sorry, I'm probably skipping through questions, but, but if you, when you're planning that, the first thing to do is mimic people who've succeeded in it. And, and looking at their three, I see it in three sections. One is, what their mindset is uh, that, that achieved what you want to achieve, then it's what they physically have done, whether it's what they're eating differently or the, what they're exercising differently. And then, so you've got the mental part and you've got the physical part. And then there's this kind of more esoteric part. You could call it spiritual or whatever, but it's, I call it a belief syntax. So it's like, what were their beliefs? So we've got the mindset side of things and what they were thinking, the structure of their thoughts, which I then wrote around, about in advanced thought. But um, yeah, so I looked at those three things and mimicked them. And if you want to climb a mountain or run a marathon or whatever, it's probably not going to happen if you spend, you know, do the people who do that spend six days in a bar drinking beer? Do the people who do that uh, wake up in the morning thinking of all the things that have gone wrong in their lives? Do the people that do that? And it's quite easy to see the replica or the replicability that you could apply. Mm. And then it's just a question of actually doing it, which of course, yeah. as you'll know, is the hardest thing of all. You just said something so interesting a moment ago, and it was in reference to, I don't think about things that I'm not going to execute on. Yeah. What is the tipping point for you of knowing that you're going to execute? What happens? Is it something in your body or is it in your mind? It's a feeling of abundance and uh, possibilities that are all achievable. And so I start from the point that every single thing is if other than swimming underwater without, um, without oxygen and flying without wings, there is literally nothing that I believe is impossible. And when you have survived trauma that should have killed you and the intent was to kill you, lots of things become extraordinarily easy. So competing in a cage in mixed martial arts is easy in comparison to choosing life over death or choosing to be a survivor as opposed to a victim. You know, becoming a yacht captain or, or learning a completely new language is easy in comparison. So that's why everything that I decide I execute because it's absolutely possible. It's just a question of discipline as opposed to whether or not this is, you know, I've, and that's why the coin flips are so magical that the hardest one of which was give, forgiving all the bullies. You know, that was yes. the one that was, that was, that was really, of all of the things that I've ever done, the hardest thing I've ever done was to find all the people that caused me harm and find it at two years. And I got found 27 out of 29 of them. And the guy yeah. who stabbed you. Yeah, the final one. You write about that <laughs> yeah. in your book. Yeah, that was a hardcore oh. moment. <laughs> Please share. I am but, just. Uh, yeah, I'm. In awe of this story. Yeah. So, so I met, I'm, I, I found all, all but two of the people. And the last guy um, who I anonymized in the book, 
So it's not his real name in the book because I haven't, I'm still connected to him, which is the end of the story. But so I found him in a swimming pool with his, I guess his daughter. And I was there with my daughter. And so we were in a kid's pool and uh, the pee pool, as it's called in the UK. And, uh, and so you're there and I swam up to him and said, Hey, do you remember me? And, and he said, no. And I said, so the kids, the two girls, my girl and his girl had gone swimming somewhere else. And I said, I'm the guy that you stabbed. And he was like, I don't remember. And I said, how many people have you stabbed? And he was like, quite a few. And I was like, and I was like, right. Okay. Well, I'm the guy that you stabbed with the barbecue fork. Anyway, he eventually kind of thought about it. But I said, actually, I'm more interested in what else have you done in your life? You know, and he'd spent some time in prison and stuff like this. And so I, not only did I start by forgiving him and because I had the script by then, it was two years in. And I said, and I said, listen, this caused me this amount of pain. And, but you probably had your reasons that I can't own. I can't own this trauma, my side anymore for both of us. And so I'm giving it back to you. And so I forgive you. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity of growth that you gave me. Thank you. That was my entire script, right? And so then we went out for coffee and I spent the next two years with him finding all of the people that he had caused harm to and he apologised to them. Oh, I have tingles head to toe right now. That's pay it forward at its finest. Can I ask you a question? I have a theory around forgiveness Mm -hmm. and this is just me personally. I've never actually spoken to anybody about this. But for me, forgiveness is the moment that I can say thank you. Is it the same for you then based on that story? Yes. Yeah, gratitude is um, something that I feel is, there's, if I had a magic wand, I would do two things in the world. The first is I would remove com- uh, comparison from the human psyche. Mm. If we could stop comparing ourselves against anything other than the person we could be and the person we are, we could remove all other comparison <clears throat> that that person's richer than me, that person's slimmer than me, that person's got more money, that person's got a better job. And the second thing I do with my magic wand is I would enable everyone's compassion and gratitude to come out. So say thank you for the experiences that you've had to the people who've caused you quote unquote harm and the people who've caused you quote unquote joy. And so forgiveness, I think, is the best opportunity to express gratitude. And forgiveness is actually quite a deep construct because it starts by looking at saying, I forgive you. But what that really means ontologically is that you're giving back some energy to them for giving back to them the thing that they have given you. Mm. And so if you say thank you to someone, it's exactly the same thing as forgiving. And you're, you're passing back an energetic mm. exchange. And so Forgiveness, and uh, so I actually see it as gratitude now more than I see it as forgiveness. And so I, if and you, anyone can do this, by the way. And it's re- this is here's a powerful thought experiment, right? You walk you walk down the street today as you're listening to this, and I want you to look at someone who you don't know who's walking towards you, and I want you to be really grateful for them being alive. I'm really deeply grateful for their brilliance and their beauty. And just assume that they are doing something, they're fighting their own battles, they've got their own drama in their life, and just be thankful that they've chosen to stay alive and fighting, right? And you project that gratitude onto people. And it, it's, I don't know whether, I, for those who are listening of a spiritual belief or a dogmatic belief or whatever, you can call this a godlike thing or whatever you like, but what it does is it fills you with this warmth. Yeah. And the more grateful that you are outwards, the more fantastically energetic you feel inwards. But you have to mean it. You can't just say, mm. thanks, I really appreciate it. Similarly, when someone says, how are you? And most people go, great, thanks, how are you? What I do is I then ask again, now, how are you? And then you get the answer. Mm. And it also means that you, you're really meaning it then. Yeah. So people go, yeah, how are you doing? But I say, how are you doing? And how, how are you doing? Mm. And that compassion... If we could get rid of comparison and we could enter compassion, I think there would be no wars. And uh, yeah, life would be a lot different. No one would be bullied at school. Wow. Yeah. That's- so, I know, I'm, <laughs> I've just been sitting here. Yes. Incredible. Just And wow. even just the energy in the room yeah. in this conversation yeah, is amazing. Big group hug. So yeah. you, <laughs> you have 
explained a great deal about the these challenges that you take on and the coin flip, but you were able to take yourself from a beginner to third in the world in jiu-jitsu in just one year. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu. Can you share <laughs> that's not that easy. story? <laughs> well, it was, it was two years, but yeah. Oh, so, so, but yeah, I mean. Slacker. Kind of, yeah. Well, <laughs> so, so, so firstly, the, um, I mean, the, Practically speaking, how it happened was that I had to uh, choose between, in 2017, 2018, I had a coin flip, between getting selected to compete at World Championships in a martial art I'd never done before, or spend four months on a silent monastery retreat. So it's heads or tails, right? So, so different. Wow. <laughs> I don't even know how you come up with these things. So, well, that was, that was also crowdsourced. Okay. So I did that on Twitter. So um, it's about the 50,000, 60,000 people who follow me on Twitter. I basically put it out and said, What fun. Yeah. Wow. And, so, and, so, and so that was the highest voted one. So I had to get selected to a world championship that I'd never com- in a martial arts that I'd never done. Now, I was a black belt kickboxer. So, so I'm, you know, that, so theoretically that would be okay. But, but it had to be a martial arts. It might, I added to not that I'd just never done, but something that was complete polar opposites to the discipline that I had done. Mm. Mm. And so my kickboxing instructor Gary Turner 13-time world champion absolute hero said well it's going to be jiu-jitsu then because that is completely there's nothing linked completely different discipline I was like oh great so so then then like that's January the 1st January the 2nd I looked at how you get selected to world championships and unfortunately you have to be the British champion (laughs) <laughs> minor obstacle so, so, yes. I know, so I was like well this actually is going to be really, really difficult because each coin flip only has a has a two year uh, expiry date so you have to achieve it within two years so it was like okay so January the 3rd I met the the past British champion a guy called Martin White so I drove to Martin's house in London and I said to him I said, what's your, um, yeah, tell, tell me about how you, that's, that's, uh, d- d- don't look away. We're not going to mention Isaac's drop phone. And uh, so you see, we got away with it. Yeah. And uh, so we can choose our response and we turn it into a positive. <laughs> yeah. It's just good that you've already got a good phone case, so, you know. But anyway, so, so the, um, so I met Martin and he said, right, well, if you want to be British champion, it took me 15 years of training six hours a day, six days a week. And that's how you become British champion. I said, I haven't got enough time. I haven't got time to do that. I need to do it in two years. And he said, well, the championship only runs every two years. And the next one is in this June. And I said, so how many months did he give you? Six. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like. Nothing like a deadline. But you have a superpower though. (laughs) You do have a superpower that a lot of us would uh, I'm going to ask you how we tap into it, but you have a mind. You you speak about it in your book about it wasn't a physical thing. It was a mental thing. That's absolutely correct. So that's actually how I, um, well, long story short, I started mimicking Martin's training regime. And so he woke up at five in the morning. So I, I mimicked his life, his diet, his, the whole thing. So he wakes up at five. He goes to the, the mats, the jiu-jitsu dojo. He rolls around the floor for three or four hours, then eats vegetables and protein, then rolls around the floor for three hours, then drinks boatloads of water, and then goes for a 10K hike, and then rolls around the floor for three hours, and then has an early night's sleep. And he does that every single day. So Rolling like, around meaning fighting, fighting with other people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was like, okay, well, that's it then. That's the formula. Sweet. Oh. No worries. But then, but it took on, him fifteen years. Yeah, well, yeah, well, you know, it's like, well, maybe you know, he had some time off. I don't know. So, that's reframe. So then, then I was like, then, then I was like, well, also, when you win, I want to see your winning moves. And so I looked at all his winning moves, all the videos of him winning, and then I looked at all other championship moves. And out of the million moves in jiu-jitsu, winning seems to come from rear naked choke arm bar, Americana, and a few of the other moves, right? There's these, there's like seven winning moves. And I was like, well, I'm just going to learn those seven moves. <gasps> Mastery. Because why would I learn 999,000? I'm going to learn seven, like all the time. I'm going to train nine hours a day for seven moves for six months. Now, the mindset of that is that with humans, we tend to start by thinking, well, this is an insurmountable goal. It's never going to happen. And you have to stop that. You have to be like, it's definitely achievable. I don't know how, 
but it's definitely achievable. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to get as good as I possibly can. And the nine hours didn't do it. So I needed to speed this up. So I went to 12 hours or 13 or 14 hours. And I'd sometimes just spend, I, I bought a kind of a, a dummy, like a mannequin. So I could practice at home just while I was watching videos of jiu-jitsu championships and I was practicing on the mannequin mm. and stuff like that. Anyway, guess what? I arrived at the British Championships as a white belt in jiu-jitsu and the first fight, I broke my rib. So someone, mm. someone got me so deeply into my rib, so my rib, my rib burst. And that was fight one. Eight fights later, I'm in the final. And I'm going to put this into context. Yeah. Anyone who's had a broken rib, it's you, horrible. You can't, you can't breathe. Inhale. Yeah. You can't breathe. No, you can't that was, do anything. And that was at 9 a.m. and the finals were at 6. Oh, jeez. How did you get past the pain? Well, actually, what I got past was not having a punctured lung, which I found out when I was in hospital a few hours later. And so anyway, but that's another story. So we get to 6. I walk on the mat. Guess who I'm fighting? Oh. Martin. Martin. Yeah. Yes. Oh. 30, 32 seconds. You beat him. Yeah, of course. I became the British champion. And that's why I got selected <gasps> to the World Championship. And then and so the next the next coin flip was compete at the World Championships. Because I'd got selected for the World Championships, right? So I'm like, well, that's all fantastic. I, I crowdsourced the coin flips and the almost entire population of my following said, Well, you've got to compete at the World Championships. That's gonna be heads and 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 head tails was climb El Capitan without ropes. Oh, and it Free land, solo. And it, yeah, and it landed on heads. So then I call up the UK squad captain, who had already said, "Now I'm British champion. I'm retiring um, because I don't want to be. I'm not going to fight in the World Championships." And he was like, "What do you mean?" And I said, "Well, I only did this for a bet." Then, so I get into the World Championships. Right? <laughs> did they hate you for that? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, so then I call up Alex. Uh, he's also called Tiny because he's six foot eight and like the opposite of Tiny. Anyway, so I call up Tiny and I said, "Look, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to World Championships. It's landed on heads." And then I then bet myself that I had to leave the World Championships with a medal. And there's 270 competitors, and I was definitely going to have either gold, silver, or bronze. Other, they'd need a machine gun to stop me getting one of those medals. Wow. And so three days, six days of acclimatization fighting in Florida, three days of fighting, I walk away with a bronze medal. Incredible. <laughs> If you're ready to age young, discover the truth about accessing the fountain of youth and claiming your best ever health, jump into our free Facebook group where we share the best information, including behind the scenes of our podcast and coaching. Just search for the group Defy Your Numbers or email us at hi at agerebels.com and we will add you. This is something that you have really woken my consciousness up about is how to think. Yeah. And, you know, we go through school and we yeah. learn, learn, learn and regurgitate, et cetera, et cetera. We're not turn, we don't not turn how to learn or how to think. Tell us more about that because that to me is the key to your superpower. It is. Maybe. I think I don't it's know. part well, uh, I think one of the things was being given up at birth, growing up in foster homes, being massively abused, all manner of different hardships. Ooh. And we've all have one. No one, no one is, no one has any less or more drama than anyone else. It's just that's my ver my version of the crap that I had to go through, or rather, I'm grateful I went through because yeah. it's resulted in where I am now. But the my my central construct is that we spend so much time working on all our other muscles. And we spend a lot of time thinking about what we're going to eat. And we have a lot of time thinking about our, our exercise regime. And we spend very little time thinking about how we think. And we think about uh, 80 to 90,000 thoughts per day. And about 80 to 90% of those thoughts are the same as the day before. And so what we're actually living in is a repeat pattern. We're inside a holding pattern of thought. Just groundhog day. Yeah. And that's actually our life. Mm. <laughs> so it's a prison uh, that we've created from our own biases. And so if you walk into a place like where this is being recorded and you don't know anyone and you don't know where you're going, you could go, oh, I know why. I always get flustered when I arrive somewhere I don't know. And guess what? You're right. You then do get flustered. Whether you think you can or you can't, you're definitely correct. Right? Yeah. So, so if you think that you can't do something, you're straight out of the box 100% accurate. And so 
the, we, we live in this holding pattern of, of, I don't like this. I don't eat fish. I can't exercise. I, I can't lose weight. I can't sleep well. I can't mm-hmm. sleep on planes. I have to have a glass of wine at night to relax. Pick, it, pick, your, pick your, insert your adjective. <laughs> mm. And what we don't think about is why we're thinking those thoughts and how to restructure those thoughts. And we don't use our thought muscle. We don't train our thought muscle, like deeply, deeply train it. And so the rise of advanced thoughts was basically a list of how I've constructed my thought muscle. And it's in five different muscular properties, but the, but essentially those, those systems are how I achieved all of the coin flips. And so if anyone thinks they're in a situation of not being able to achieve, or they want to achieve more or whatever it is, then the way of doing that is going to be through the modification of your thought patterns. And yes, there'll be some sacrifices you need to make. And it's unlikely that if you want to do something physically challenging, that you're going to be able to, to go out to the casino every night until three in the morning. But whatever that you're trying to achieve is going to start from how you think about that challenge. And you've given a wonderful gift to people because you've got the Academy of Advanced Thought and you've got it all mapped out there. It's all free. So it's a, it's it's a how-to. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I'm jumping on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, academyofadvancedthought.com is a resource, not only of 48 interviews with people who blow my mind, and you're going to be the next people on that, by the way, both of you. I told Summer earlier, but you were out of the room. But yeah. Oh, cool. So you're, Surprise. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> anyway, so not only is there a whole, a whole bunch of people who, who, who are inspirational, but also there's, if you click on topics, there's a load of resources, all of which are inside the Academy of Advanced Thought, uh, the Rise of Advanced Thought, and also the free link to the book. So you can, mm. you can get the Spotify link from there. You can use all the resources that are in the book because why would I not? My ambition isn't to monetize that stuff. It's like people have asked me through the years, how do you do this? So I just thought I'd write it down and just, just give it away and just go, well, this is how I've done it. You can use it too if you want. You know, This is the answer that I found. It might not be everyone's answer, but it's certainly the one that worked for me. And you got the runs on the board. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Something that I, I'm fascinated with neuroplasticity, neuroscience, anything mm-hmm. to do with the brain, I personally think it is the sexiest organ in the body. I am so passionate about learning as much as I can mm-hmm. about it. And there was an incredible conversation I listened to with Rich Roll and Andrew Huberman just this past week. Mm-hmm. And you have literally articulated what yeah. he said is proven in science. And what when you were speaking about choosing, eliminating all the irrelevant moves and focusing on seven mm-hmm. winning moves, he Andrew Huberman talks about focus plus urgency gives a uh, a spurt of adrenaline mm-hmm. which creates neuroplasticity post that experience in your sleep. Yes. So when I was listening to that I was oh wow that actually makes a lot of sense to me because it's how I operate. I don't give myself an opportunity to think myself out of something. Mm-hmm. I just take action. I just do it. And you've literally refined what science is now discovering and delivering. Yes. You've been doing it forever. Yeah, and I did, I did it by accident until I realized. Now science has actually proven these methods. By the way, anyone who's listening to that thinks that's a lot of long words than, and what's that mean to them? Yes. The, uh, let me break that down into a really simple version. Because so, you've studied neuroscience. Absolutely. I've got a diploma in neuro. Yeah, in neuro- that's one of the yeah. coin flips. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the coin flips. I will learn neuroscience. Okay. It's also true. That's very true. Um, so, but, yeah, Just so, a diploma. Yeah, so so, um, so, so the, um, here's the thing. So we know that our body doesn't know the difference between a thought that um, we're thinking that is imagined or an experience we've actually had. Yeah. So our body doesn't know, and this is epigenetics, which is above genetics. And so we don't, uh, we can imagine an experience or have an experience and our body will react in the same way. So let's take neuroplasticity aside for a second and look at how we can change our, how be flexible in our neurology. When you're walking onto a mat in a jiu-jitsu tournament, or if you're going to a big challenge or job interview, and let's say you happen to be the type of person that responds well to coffee. I'm not, but my wife is. And let's say that you are, that you're, you're, you're a, a coffee fiend and so you need a cup of coffee to get on with the day type stuff. Your body doesn't know the difference between the caffeine that's in your system or your thought that the caffeine's in the system. Mm. So if you want to walk on, if you want to walk into a room and feel like you've had two espresso shots, you can think about those two espresso shots and remember the feeling of those espresso shots and your body at a genetic level 
scientifically proven, will start responding to two espresso shots. Amazing. So if you take that, if you really widen that construct out, yeah. what I started to do about three or four years into the flips was I started to live like the person with insert challenge. Yeah. So I would live like someone who had run a London marathon. I'd live like a yacht captain. I'd live like a, someone with a neuroscience diploma. I'd live like someone with a Sunday Times bestseller book. And how does that person live? Well, an author of a Sunday Times bestselling book writes a lot. They read a lot of other books. They speak to a lot of publishers. They speak to a lot of agents. They work out their branding. And so I started living like that. And in one of the um, constructs in Rise of Advanced Thought is called flexibility. And flexibility is the ability for us to, to change our way of thinking from a mimicked behavior. And we can actually, we can use a behavior like the espresso shots, but widened. So not just the espresso shots. It's like, so how does a British champion live their life? Mm. And they pretty much all live their life. If you speak to 20 Olympians, 19 of them will live pretty much the same way. And then you get Usain Bolt who goes out and has nine chicken nuggets and then runs them. (laughs) (laughs) But he's not, he's an anomaly. So the rest of them train really hard, but they also think very differently about what's achievable. And you can project yourself going through the line at 9.2 seconds or 9.8 seconds or whatever it was over the high jump or, or the long jump, whatever. And as you actually build that, scenario in your head and how that will feel to happen it becomes more and more and more and more real so when i arrived at the british championships which were up north in in the uk i walked in and they had the the british championship trophy on a table and i walked up to the trophy and picked it up so i could practice what it would feel like at the end of the tournament i was like that's a pretty yeah it's a pretty weighty trophy one of the judges said to me oh so you know good luck today i said well i'm going home with that (laughs) <laughs> and he looked at my white belt. Everyone else is black belt. <laughs> and he was like, Christ he was us. like, all right, mate, good luck with that. Yeah. And I was like, it's not You're a luck. A bit yeah, I was like, you? it's not a luck thing. What's this L word situation? Yeah. It's almost as bad as the C word, can't. Yes. It's like luck and can't. It's like luck. 100% agree it's with like, you. Yeah. you know, it's like, I'm walking away with this. You're literally going to need to put a tiger with an g- armed guard in front of it, that would probably mean that I don't leave with the trophy. Other than a tiger and an armed guard, I'm going home with it, mate. And he was like, okay. <laughs> Nine hours later, I picked the trophy up and did shook he... his hand and said, thanks very much. What did, what, did did say? Say? what did he say? He was like, congratulations. <laughs> oh. There's something I would love to discuss with you yeah. whilst we're on this trajectory. And it's centered around my least favorite concept or construct that I just, every time I hear it come from someone, I think, ooh. No, that's not it. And mm. it is fake it till you make it. Oh. My perspective is you be it until you become it that's or you right. have it. Absolutely and that's right. what you're explaining. So 100%. can you give us your thought, thoughts and understanding around that? Great yeah. question. Yeah. So if you start from, let's, let's do this from a mindset perspective. So if you were to say fake it until you make it, what you're doing is you're absolving yourself of responsibility. You're, you're handing over accountability. Mm, I love that. And, and so you're, what you're not doing is owning it. So fake it till you make it is like a, a kind of a cop-out. That's how I feel yeah. about it. And by the way, there's another, there's another cop-out that people use a lot, which is, which is even more common than fake it till you make it, which is it is what it is. Well, the full statement, by the way, which is a 30,000-year-old African <gasps> statement, which is actually on my heart. This is a tattoo we're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have yes. to put a picture of that. Yeah, well, with the, yeah, 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 so yeah, my, yeah. My, my body is, full, is, is, is a record, a physical record of, of the, all of these kind of learnings mm. that I've had over my life. So I started journaling on my body. Oh, I love so that. I ran out of paper and started running. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, but, but, but the full statement of it is what it is, 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 it is, it is what it is. It is what is created. You are the creator. Mm. So it is what it is, is actually about personal accountability. But we go, oh, it is what it is. And it's like, fake it till you make it. And, and these are lack of accountability structures. And so if we say fake it till you make it, what it means is, well, we don't really need to try that hard because we'll just kind of pretend and then somehow that will eventuate in reality. Yes. And it's like, well, no. And it's the same as saying it is what it is. It's like, no, it's exactly what you create. And, and so when as soon as people go, well, you know, what about this? And well, I, I did this and my, I lost my job in COVID and then this and whatever. But it is what it is. It's like, no, it, it is what you create. So what are you going to create now? What's yeah. next? 
Yeah. And and if people go, well, I don't know, I just, I'm just going to wait and see what the future holds. It's like, no, you don't wait to see what the future holds because the future doesn't exist. It's only made up of a lot of nows. Yes. And so what you do now automatically determines the future. That's not some kind of woo-woo statement. It's like there's now and then there's another now. So they go, I'm going to wait to see what the future holds. It's like, well, what are you doing today? Because that will instruct what happens tomorrow. Well, I'm going to fake it till I make it. Well, you're not actually then trying. Well, it is what it is. No, it is what you create. This is all, this is all, about, this is all about personal accountability. Like, what are you going to do about it? And those statements yes. are absolving yeah. them of any and responsibility. Yeah. I would much rather be, in, be responsible for creating my reality than handing it over to someone else to right. create. Why would you outsource that? Yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> that's that is insane. Would you, yeah. you bet and, your life on some other reality? And the though. thing is, the people listening, some might get really confronted with this. Yeah, true. Which is good. It's great. Because cause we all need a really good, tough love slap. Tink gives me them quite regularly. Um, yeah. <laughs> and people think I'm sweet. I mean, yes. I, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. to be honest with you, what, we, what I found has been the most, the biggest challenges to, that I've had to me from people around these kind of topics is, yeah, well, it's all right for you to say that. Yeah. Yes. Well, you can say that because you yeah. live in a country that hasn't got massive violent <gasps> oppression or you can say that because... And so what I, one of the reasons why my publishers have Powered by Change, the one that came before Rise of Advanced Thought, my fifth book, the publishers wanted my personal story in there because the rest of the book is basically, this is the way, if you want to become massively successful in business, this is how I've learned that I helped grow Apple and as I was advising IKEA and their growth and Amazon and, and all these other companies I've helped. This is, so they said, you've got to preload this with your personal story. Otherwise, people are going to say, yeah, well, it's all right for you because of X, yeah. Y, Z. So I've had to start any type of conversation about this. I kind of start, my starting point is, you may be listening to this challenge by this because you're having a challenge in your life. And I understand. Yeah. You know, your yeah. life situation, my life situation, we've all had huge trauma to deal with. So my advice isn't coming from like this golden ivory tower of, of privilege. Or a theorist. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. By the way, yes. theorists. Okay, here's another thing. Futurists, right? Here's my thing with futurists. I would buy into a futurist if they buy a lottery ticket the day before the lottery and every week their numbers come in. Then I'll buy into a, future, a futurist, <laughs> right? You can't think about the future in, in, a, in an abject way and imagine people are going to, uh, an abstract way and imagine people are going to resonate. And theorists I have a problem with because they haven't actually had practical reality or experience. Mm. And so I'm much more akin to people who failed at business than being business advisors. If you failed at business, I mean, I've, I've had 11, I'm in my 11th startup now. And I've had out of the, out of the previous 10, Six of them were so bad. Like the <laughs> failures like were so bad. <laughs> I failed. And in fact, I've written an entire book called Business Poison about how much I've screwed up. Right? But I actually anonymized every chapter and used other people. But it's actually all things I did myself. But anyway. So, <laughs> but you but, gave it a crack. Yeah. You gave so it a crack. You're not going to go uh, yeah. to your no, grave thinking going, I wish I yeah, yeah, because what, what had you know yeah. what you should only regret things you didn't do yeah so I'm so I'm I've done I've done a lot of stuff and made a lot of mistakes but here's the thing right I know we've gone completely on a tangent here but the mistakes that I've made well have always been based on two things and then very intertwined the first is a fallacy and like a, a mis, misplaced thought of omnipotence in other words I know enough I know enough to do this, this, this. I'm good enough to do that, that, that. And so that is my, most of my mistakes are based on either omnipotence, thinking that I know enough or I'm good enough, or trusting the wrong people. And yeah. sometimes it's a combination of both. Yeah. So the yeah. biggest disasters. Oh, I can relate. Oh, we yes. can relate to that yeah. one. Yeah. Hell so, yeah. So, I mean, so now I've realized through the failures, which I don't call failures, I call learnings. Failure is only a failure if you don't learn from it. Yeah. So, so the things that I... That should be on a t-shirt. Yeah. So the <laughs> things that I wish I'd made that up, I probably, I don't know who did, but, but, the, but the things that I did that didn't work out the way I planned, quote unquote, were because of that. And, and so the first thing I did to rectify this, this trend in my life, if you think about how the coin flips come about and the mindsets required, I was like, well, what am I, what, what's the pattern of me not succeeding? Well, the main pattern is I think I know enough. So it's like, well, I'm going to start from the fact that I probably don't know very much at all. And in fact, I went so deep into that rabbit hole that I started to calculate that I think 
There's 1% of stuff we know we know, 1% of stuff we know we don't know, and 98% of stuff we don't know we don't know. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. So, so I start from the point that I don't know what I don't know, and it's probably the vast majority of everything. So starting point, one. Secondly, about people that I trust, have, I've misplaced trust in people. I went to a psychotherapist for many years to speak about this one point because as soon as I spotted the trend, I needed to fix this, right? So I'm like, well, how, how, what's going on in my brain to, to, to trust the wrong people? And she said, well, you know, why are you trusting these people? Like, what's, what's the emotion that you're giving? And I was like, well, I tend to trust people who, who make me feel as if I'm good enough. And she's like, oh. interesting. Wow, that's yeah. hugely insightful. Yeah, and I was like, well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I'm insecure. And she's like, this is not about insecurity. This is about your identity. And I was like, oh. oh. And so all of the things that I'd done wrong were based on me seeking affirmation externally, but paradoxically inside thinking that I was uh, not just enough, I was everything. So I had my Band-Aid mentally for, for, for this. And it, the root cause of it mm. was being given up at birth. Because the first question I ever asked my adoptive parents at the age of four or five was, why would my mum give me up? Mm. And so the, the, the actual trauma, really, I mean, this is a pretty deep point. Here, it's like a complete this exorcism. No, but this, this, is, is, brilliant. this is what we do. And, and so yeah. the, 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 the actual trauma wasn't the bullying. The actual trauma was the question, the, answer, the unanswered question of why would a mother give a baby up? So the trauma was the lack of answer. Yes. <gasps> the absence of That's right. knowledge. Yes. Whereas so, and so where my misplaced trust would come from would be someone going, I won't give you up. I need you. And I go, oh, you need me? Well, that's great. And that yeah. becomes, what that becomes is a narcissist magnet. Yeah. Wow. Hell of course yeah. it does. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's just all clicking in my brain. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like you put together these things and yeah. it's just like, now I know where I went wrong. Oh. And so, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's, you go through these journeys and, and this is an example of looking at how you think and becoming really yeah. geeky about it. Like, why do I always think that? Why do I think this? Why, if someone says to me, here's some caviar, I go, I'm not going to eat fish eggs. Why am I saying that? Well, because I haven't tried them before. Ah, oh, right. So you're scared of new experiences. Why are you scared of new experiences? Well, because I like my comfort zone. Why did I comfort zone? Because I'm actually concerned that if I go out of my comfort zone, I don't know what's going to happen. So you're uncertain about the future because you think the future is going to be created somehow uncertainly, whereas in fact, you can create the future. In fact, you can decide to love caviar the second before you have caviar. And guess what will happen? You'll, You'll love, love it. it. <laughs> <laughs> so you talk about, because this all comes down to this whole concept, which I love what you talk about, bias. Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, wow. How much longer have we got so far? Well, we've got over I'll time, do, but this is, this is pure gold and people are... I hope you're writing this stuff down. Because- <laughs> We've got about five minutes. Okay. Yeah. I'll, do, I'll do two minutes on bias, right? Okay. So, so if you go to tinyurl.com forward slash thought assessment, um, equally you can go to Academy of Advanced Thought and just click on thought assessment in the topics. But I've created a bias questionnaire free of charge so that you can see what biases you have. So biases in our lives are um, things that are constructing our framework of what's possible, what's not possible, what we like, what we don't like, our preferences and so forth. And all of those biases are completely false. Key point. The biases are constructed in our head based on what we find comfortable. So if someone's working out in the gym and they have the wrong type of deadlift, what they're kind of doing is compensating for something. Their muscles are working out an easier way for them to do something that's not actually <laughs> really doing the work, but they kind of thing. And it's normally involving, for me, it's always involving hunching of shoulders and stuff like that. And also bending of back. So I can carry anything on my shoulders, so I kind of try and use shoulders whenever I can. And if someone says shoulders down and chest up and whatever, it's like, no, no, no I'm much easier if I, my shoulders are up and my chest down. Yeah. So, so biases are the thought version of that. So our biases that, are, that generate our entire reality very quickly, the way reality works is, we see something and then there's a quite a bit of delay, almost a second delay of what's happened goes into our eyes, through our eyes, into our brain. And what happens then is that we reflect that what we've seen against our own personal story, which is our 70 or 80 or 90,000 thoughts per day. Same as day before. And we go, ah, that doesn't resonate with my story. Mm. And then that, but the bias is created going, I don't agree with that. 
So I see someone walking down the street with a neck tattoo and my internal story goes, neck tattoos aren't good. Therefore, that guy's bad. Mm. And that's how we live our lives. Yeah. And it's strange because those biases are things that stop us getting out of a narcissistic relationship. They're the things that stop us getting the jobs that we really want, stop us following our passion, stop us losing weight, stop us exercising correctly, stop us buying a bicycle. All of the things that we could do that we don't are because of our biases. Yeah. Everything's possible, including managing our biases, which is why I created the thought assessment framework. So tinyurl.com forward slash thought assessment. There's a bunch of questions and the, and the, the answer to each question will show you how you've answered the question, um, what type of bias you are maybe having in your life. Mm. And if you then use the answers and think, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I do that. You know what will happen? You'll see your life as it actually is, which is largely, and all, all of ours, mine included, is a repeat pattern of the day before. Yeah. Like you said, Isaac, Groundhog Day, and we don't even realize it. Yeah. You may have different experiences, but your your thoughts yeah. and your behaviors are the same as the day before. That's right. Because nothing, you're not changing anything. Yes. And same as, so let's take Matt Legg with the gut biome, okay? So, yeah. so if you look at the gut biome carefully and think about what you put in your body and how that's generating itself and the bacteria that's involved and everything else like that, and even eating fruit that's in season versus the one that's been on the shelf for 11 months and everything, everything. If you consider the gut biome as, let's say, 50% of your focal point for health, the other 50% is your thoughts. Mm -hmm. So thoughts are what determines your view of reality. Yep. And your gut biome is what determines your presence in that reality. Oh. And so that's why they're so, they're so beautifully intertwined. So when so any listener is wondering how I became on this, this show – other than the fact that Isaac's my wife's PT, it's because, <laughs> it's because um, uh, I listened to the Matt Legg podcast and the whole thing was about your, the physical generation of health in this existence. Mm. And, but it requires a mental generation of health. Yeah. So, the, so there's a thought biome and a gut biome. The gut biome is your mind and your brain is your thoughts. Mm. So you have thoughts and mind are different. And they're completely interchangeable through the, the blood-brain barrier. So actually, no, we, can exp we can think of an experience and our, and our gut will respond. Yeah. We can also eat something and our thoughts will change. Yeah. And so they're completely intertwined and none of this is taught at school. No. Oh, if only it was. Oh. What a different community we would <laughs> Right. Have. Yeah. Yeah, but we're on a path to create a <laughs> we are. world Good. movement. Good. Well, you've oh, got yeah. to start somewhere. Absolutely. And I'm, the reason Ooh. I'm so honoured to be on here is because I think what you're doing is brilliant. I've loved Every single one of your podcasts. Oh, that's such a And you know what? Problem. You're the only podcast that I listen to whenever one comes out. And I just, and that's over and above any of the standard podcasts, Malcolm Gladwell, the Joe Rogan, the, the Aubrey Marcus. I've tried these ones. And the, the podcast you're doing here is expanding the way I think. And that's my drug. That's my favorite drug. Wow. I'm with you so, on that. Yeah, and you're expanding thoughts and, and that would make society better. And more importantly, individually, people can learn to expand their thinking through your podcast. So rather than thinking about the universe and its atrocities, it's about the universe and our opportunities. Mm. Yeah. And that's what your podcast Boom. does. So I'm so happy. Oh, thank you so much for that compliment. Wow. I have two more questions for you okay. before we finish up. Yeah. One of them is if you could give our audience three things that they could do immediately that will improve the reality of their life based on what they're creating in their mind or in yep. their thought processes, what would those three things be? Yeah. The first thing would, oh, there's many, but I'm going to take three. One of them would be to know that you are not controlled by your emotions. You are controlling your emotions through your thoughts. So we have sovereignty over our thoughts. And that's true with neuroscience because the frontal lobe right. is the driver. That's right. And the limbic system at the back needs that's to right. be a really calm passenger. That's right. So, so scientifically <clears throat> and any way around of looking at it, the, I think maybe the, com the consumer version of that statement is that you can choose how you respond. Yeah. Let's put it like that. So yes. you can choose. If something bad happens, there's a great book <clears throat> called Prisoners of Our Thoughts written by two of um, Viktor Frankl's students. Everyone should read Prisoners of Our Thoughts. It's absolutely brilliant. Anyway, so that's point one. Point two, drink more water. Like really drink more water. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> of all of the things that have the biggest impact on thought, 
is water. Actually, H2O. That's it. it bizarre. From a neuroscience perspective, mm-hmm. the actual yeah. driving factor. People who have brain fog, I'm like, how much water do you drink? People who are really on it, I'm like, out of interest, how much water do you drink? And the answer is always down to water. It's either lack oh. of, too much, not enough, whatever. Mm-hmm. You, and so for me, to run like this is between three and four liters of water a day. Yeah. If I have five, it's too much. I'm going to loo all the time. <laughs> if I have two, I get a headache if I only have one. If I have two, I've got brain fog and I run out of, I run out of words. At three to four is a sweet spot. So that's my second thing is drink more water. First is choose your response. <laughs> second is drink more water. And third is learn how to breathe properly. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely, and this is what this is here on my arm, which is another tattoo. I was wondering tattoo. about that tattoo. Yeah, this says breathe in Tibetan. And oh, the reason is there is so it reminds me of breathing properly. We all live in hypertension almost all the time. We're breathing 30 times a minute. We're supposed to breathe about 10 times a minute or maybe 12. In for 10, out for 10. And so if anyone listening wants to just do, the biggest growth hack you can do right now is drink double the amount of water you're drinking pretty much and slow your breathing down by half. Yep. And use box breathing. And you could Google search box breathing and just try it. Mm-hmm. And I did it yesterday. Yeah, perfect. And if I could add one fourth one quickly, Go yeah. for it. is add gratitude to every experience. Mm, so yes. be thankful, be grateful. Everyone's fighting their own battle. Project it as you're walking past strangers. On, be really caring that they exist. Yeah. And if we could just practice gratitude and drink more water and breathe properly and choose our response, that would solve oh, everything. This world would be a better place. One go. final question for you. <laughs> And this is a curveball. Okay, yes. Because <laughs> I have an answer for this and I'm happy to share mine. Okay. <laughs> what would you want written on your gravestone after you've passed? What would be your one statement that would summarise your life? It would be a quote from Viktor Frankl. He's one of my favourite authors, by Me the way. Me too. What a guy. I started reading Viktor Frankl when I was a kid when I thought that my life was over and I was contemplating mm-hmm. suicide on weekly basis you can imagine and so I was structuring different ways in fact one of the ways was to just allow the beatings to so I started getting good at running away and then I thought well actually it's really simple I just don't run and then it's over Mm. Um, anyway so Viktor Frankl I started reading Frankl around then and so the, the, the his quote that would be on my gravestone would be there's a gap and here's the direct quote there's a gap between stimulus and response and in that gap lies our growth and our freedom. Oh, got tingles. And that's exactly what yeah, you've been talking it. about this whole time with it's having the whole the of opportunity my life. Yeah. to respond. The whole of my life mm. is the same story. It's that all in one quote. Yeah. In yeah. the gap. Yeah. This uh, it's like, it's, has uh, been, uh, yeah. wow. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see it, but I've been like crying and, then yeah. and it's like, it, it's been the most wonderful journey. Thank you. thank you. Enough. I'm, I'm honoured to be here. I think that what you're doing is excellent, as I said. And the listeners of yours, I, I'm 100% convinced they feel the same, whether they tell you or not. Mm. Yes. But well, that, our, our goal has been, even before we met, we both had a vision to create a better world, like leave it in a better place. Quite right. And how, and you speak about breathing and water. And yeah, at, even before college, when I went into college, it was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, mm-hmm. but I really like to create a global movement yes. of where people are just in far too much pain mm-hmm. unnecessarily and they can live a happier, easier life. And that exercise about projecting gratitude into a person, seriously, if you do that, watch your life change. It's, it's actual oh, magic. It, it is. Absolutely. And, and it's so easy. Yes. It's free. It requires no training. You don't need to buy any equipment. <laughs> it's like body weight exercises, like yeah. using your own body weight exercise. You're in a hotel and goes, well, there's no gym, therefore I'm not going to exercise. It's like you're carrying around an 80, 90 kilo piece <laughs> yes. of weight. It's like you've got plenty. You've got plenty you can do. Yes. And so, yeah. so, yeah, I mean, gratitude, compassion, and care. And if we can just stop our normal reaction, which is re-enacting a past thought, and we can choose our response. Something bad, quote unquote, happens and think, well, what's my chosen response going to be? Yeah. And in my life, my chosen response is to live rather than die, to stand up one more time than I fall over and forgive anyone who causes me harm. And I still do this now. If someone cuts me up in a road and they stop next to me and they're shouting and shouting, I just say, 
thank you. You know what you've done? You've reminded me to be more in the present moment mm, yeah. and, and <clears throat> learn more about how I choose to respond. You're helping me grow. And they're like, uh. <laughs> yeah, where do you go with that? <laughs> <laughs> what? You don't want to fight, mate? That's no, right. no. Would you yes, like I, a hug? However, if yeah. I did want to fight, then you'd be in trouble. But, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jiu-jitsu. <laughs> <laughs> you just pin them down and kiss them on the forehead. That's right. Yeah, you'd be like, come on. Yeah, let's let's hug it out. You know, <laughs> hug it out. And then, as I said, when if you ask someone how they are, ask them twice. Ask them twice. Ask them how they are twice. Yeah. Beautiful. Amazing. Thank you so much. This is going to be literally one of those drops in the ocean that creates a ripple effect that will have an impact on the world. I know it. Yep. Thank mm. you. Honoured to be here. Thanks so much, John. Thanks for joining this podcast. Want to take the conversation further and learn more about how to live an energised, pain-free life as you age? Jump into our free Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash defy your numbers if you have any questions or ideas for topics shoot us an email at hi at agerebels.com stay tuned for the next episode of the age rebels revolution Mm -hmm.